This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. To episode 403 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm your host Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's highest win in the Champions League, and we will preview the small Revier Derby, also known as the 18. Heimspiel, usually but uh, not in COVID times, uh, against VfL Bochum, a game where I'm obviously looking forward to, even though I cannot attend. Uh, yeah, and obviously there's uh, more stuff, more Bayern game aftermath to discuss. And for all that and more, joins me the beautiful Lars Poemann. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Uh, better now that you are calling me beautiful, Stefan. <laughs> uh, and also, happy birthday. Thank if you. If people are allowed to know this. Yes, they are. Yes, I I, I indeed age. Even sweet, though. sweet 40 years old today. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's it's a, Well, it's not a round birthday. Um, I think... Are, are we the same age? I yeah. forgot. Uh, but I'm... Uh, almost six months your senior, obviously. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Uh, yes. You are uh, just as old as last ring, <laughs> so, as everyone knows. <laughs> so that uh, also reveals my age now. So, um, yeah, I just uh, scrolled down in my notes file and uh, <laughs> see that I have had no time to prepare and did not write anything down. But, but I don't need notes uh, for this because I do know that Jude Bellingham has been fined. By now, um, obviously, we we discussed the entire uh, controversy with uh, Josh from JJTV on uh, the Monday episode, which uh, I recommend uh, to anyone who hasn't heard it yet. But last, nevertheless, uh, I know people out there are very intrigued of what you think about this entire uh, yeah thing. I mean, you know, forty thousand is not nothing. I've I don't know if it's the highest fine ever, but, uh, uh, you know, it's it's certainly um, a judgment by the DFB that Jude Bellingham was in the wrong to say what he said. And, uh, I, you know, if you want to um, get into the whole uh, apology, not apology, uh, uh, offering of a conversation by its fire, you can do that as well. So um, I, I'm just going to say um, that you can, uh, you know, just have have free flowing thoughts on this subject now. Well, first of all, I think it's the same amount in terms of the fine that uh, Markus Thuram of Gladbach had to pay for spitting in someone's face. At uh, the, at, I think it was even during Corona times, but might have been just before. Um, I think it's in the same ballpark, at least well, of what some people say Kevin, he was spitting facts. So, yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, the same ballpark as Kevin De Bruyne had to pay for insulting a ball boy. I don't necessarily remember the episode, but you know people brought it up when discussing what's what was going to happen to Bellingham. So I think it was obvious from the start that the German FA weren't going to suspend him uh, because of the optics, be seeing as. Bellingham did point out things that were true. I mean, Zweier did take money to impact the game. Whether he ever actually did, 
you know, come through on the bribe is very much disputed and has never been proven. So I guess that's also kind of the point why he wasn't going to get away scot-free. Um, I think the, 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 the biggest issue is that Bellingham kind of made the insinuation that um, the refereeing decisions on Saturday evening were impacted by Zweier's past transgressions and, uh, you know, possibly him having been bought, which, I mean, we can talk as much as we want about the Bayern bonus in the Bundesliga, but I don't think anyone really thinks uh, that Oliver Kahn slipped uh, Felix Zweier an envelope on Saturday morning or whenever, so I yeah, think... The annoying part is they get this for free. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which happens to every leading team in every leading league, I mean... You can talk about Manchester United having a bonus under Sir Alex Ferguson. Juventus definitely had a bonus, and there were also envelopes. In, <laughs> I was just uh, going to say, <laughs> But, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, everyone, every team that's on, on top for a long time has, you know, a, the uh, direct pathway to the hearts and minds of referees. It's just the way it is. And, I mean, you can also make the case that Dortmund in, in games against lower uh, lower level sides have benefited from that in, in the not so distant past so um, nobody's actually saying that you know Zweier was bought for this one so in, in that sense I think it's pretty fair to say that Bellingham couldn't get away scot-free I think 40,000 seems pretty much an appropriate amount uh, he'll get over it I think uh, when all is said and done, I think we can probably say that Felix Zweier is not going to referee any Dortmund games in the next couple of years. And I'm kind of glad someone paid 40000 for that, because as we all know, uh, Zweier just shouldn't be a referee at this level. So I'm kind of positive that he's not uh, going to have any Dortmund games in the near future. Yeah, uh, I, I think may maybe that's actually a positive knock-on effect, and I I'm, I'm glad you bring this up because Lars you were one of those people who said already before the game and you know in, in general and in, 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 you know not not just before the Bayern game that Zweier should not be a referee I think uh, on, on Twitter you said to someone that being a German referee is a privilege not a right and uh, maybe in your opinion he has forgotten that uh, privilege so um, you know I I, I I totally agree with the sentiment I think if you've been found guilty of that um you know, it's 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 really hard to be reintegrated into uh, the refereeing profession, if you will, because you know what happened uh, is exactly what can happen. And now, you know, there's obviously a lot of doubt about the entire uh, you know decision making from the German FA around Felix Zweier, and this can always boil up around him again. And uh, it, it's just a, a jaded referee in this regard. And um, yeah, it's. It's obviously also a bit dubious that he has had this stellar career because as I pointed out when the site came out with the bombshell of, uh, you know, that he actually has been, um, you know, found guilty of uh, some aspects of ma ma match fixing or taking money, um, you know, that was literally two months after he's been uh, named the German referee of the year or something. And uh, yeah, it's... It's unbecoming, let's put it this way, and I just don't think that Felix Zweier is, uh, you know, that good of a referee to deserve to all these accolades, to be honest. And uh, yeah, one thing that, that really annoys me still is um, 
also the gaslighting by the German FA. Um, first of all, the, the, the interview by Jochen Dres, because I don't know how you see it, but I think there was clear contact on Marco Reus's leg, for example. Um, that that Hernandez just hit him there, and to to say that there there wasn't any, uh, I don't know. I find I find it a bit difficult, and uh, you know, to to sort of say, oh well, it was offside anyway. The next day doesn't help anyone either. So, uh, what are your thoughts on on the entire, um, you know? I think uh, allegation from Dortmund fans and players and officials that uh, you know double standards were applied in what was reviewed and what wasn't. I mean, it's clearly obvious that they didn't uh, uphold the same standard in both instances because obviously Swire both saw uh, the contact between Hernandez and Royce and deemed it not sufficient for a penalty, which, I mean, fair enough. And he also saw that Hummels uh, handled the ball inside his own box. And I don't necessarily understand why, uh, when he asked uh, the Colonel Keller, the, the DVAR assistants, about whether or not he had missed something in the Hernandez situation with Royce, why they said no, and then when he asked the same question with Hummels, they said yes and made him uh, trot out to the sideline. So, I mean, it's obvious that he didn't have the same standard for those two things, and it's also obvious that he didn't uphold the standard of his own refereeing performance uh, when assessing the Hummels situation, because, I mean, still, handball isn't black and white. Um, you know, there's intent to be judged, uh, there's also, you know, circumstance. I mean, Hummels was in a three-man sandwich, basically, and had someone's hand in his face a couple of seconds before uh, fondling the ball with his hand. So I think, uh, which is something that basically uh, Dres, the, the VAR chief in Germany, as you mentioned earlier, uh, kind of uh, admitted that, you know, their, that the better call would have been to not give a penalty for Bayern either or, you know, give both but obviously then Dortmunds would have been taken away uh, by the offsides call but I definitely agree uh, and I also said it was gaslighting um, they they didn't uh, check for offside on Saturday evening because they didn't have to because they deemed the contact insufficient for a penalty review or you know just awarding a penalty outright and so they didn't even look for offside. They didn't apply the the lines on the pitch to see whether Haaland was just about offside, which apparently he was, even though I don't think anyone's shown me anything official. Um, yeah, I mean, just the, the, the entire process once again shows how flawed the implementation of VAR is in Germany still after, what is it now, three and a half years or so. And, you know, remembering, for example, the World Cup in, in Russia 2018, uh, that was kind of, I think, from an international standpoint, the, the golden standard of VAR. And it's kind of shocking that three and a half years later, it's, it's gotten markedly worse, especially in Germany. But also, uh, I watch a lot of uh, Italian football, obviously, being an Inter fan. And VAR and the Serie A doesn't really work. Uh, Champions League, I mean, we saw Michael Oliver not, uh, rescind the red card for Mats Hummels in what was one of the most blatant mistakes anyone's made in the last few months in terms of referees and so I think it once again proves that even if you are a fan of the idea of VAR which I definitely was back in the, back when they introduced it it's just the implementation doesn't work 
takes away too much from the game uh, for uh, the the results it brings. So once again, just scrap the thing, use it for offside calls or anything that is black and white. You know, did the ball cross the the, the sideline or whatever? Even that is not really black and white because you the camera angles usually don't tell you all the story. So other than that, I think VAR is kind of dead in the water, even though uh, the people who decided uh, don't see it that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I said it before, um, I think I'm just uh, <laughs> long-term butthurt when it comes to refereeing decisions <laughs> uh, between uh, Dortmund and Bayern, just uh, because there is such a litany of uh, decisions that went, in my opinion, the wrong way and that you know heavily disadvantaged uh, Dortmund in, in so many uh, close games. I mean, what one of the the hardest one to swallow still is to me that Dante wasn't sent off in the Champions League final after he literally kicked Royce in the stomach and he was already on a yellow card. Uh, you know, it, it obviously was a penalty call. At least we got that one, but uh, still, um, very hard to take for me. And uh, you know, there are about eight million situations where Frank Ribéry should have been sent off because he you know can't keep his hands or elbows to himself. And obviously, Xavi Alonso uh, survived a lot of uh, <laughs> bookable offenses uh, in 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 certain games. And you have, uh, I think, the Boateng handball, and then this uh, one cup final goal where the ball was over the line for forty centimeters. Things scored by Hummels that didn't count. And uh, I don't know. There are just so many examples of uh, Bayern uh, profiteering or profiting rather uh, from a from a refereeing call in uh, high-profile games between Dortmund and Bayern that's, uh, you know, it is very annoying. And if you then have the narratives of, uh, you know, Bayern picking off Dortmund's best players over several years, I, I think there's just a, um, a baseline of bitterness um, from Dortmund fans that I can understand um, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of vitriol coming out of the Dortmund camp if uh, something like that happens. You know, the... Um, the elbow situation by Jerome Boateng, where he blocked a Haaland shot, uh, I, was it last season? Um, yeah, the, you know, it's 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 also a, a very weird call that this one wasn't given, and uh, yeah, I I I think it's it, it just adds up, you know, and uh, I I just hope going forward that Dortmund have maybe done enough by now that referees. Even even if it's just due to this one shitstorm that uh, referees, uh, yeah, are a bit more uh, or apply the same standard to both teams. You know that that would help. Obviously, what I really want last, and <laughs> that's maybe not the best sportman sportsmanship, but that's just me. I would really love to win a game against Bayern on one absolutely egregious call. <laughs> I feel like that would help me just personally uh, to have some catharsis. But uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I think we can move on from that game. And uh, unless you have anything to say, uh, talk about the Besiktas game. Uh, yeah, maybe just on Zweier once again. Um, I think people are making all kinds of uh, assumptions that, you know, rehabilitation is a thing and that he shouldn't be held too much accountable for something he did as a 24-year-old or whatever. And it was only 300 euros, but... To me, once again, uh, being a top-level referee is not a right, but uh, a privilege, and he has, in my opinion, forfeited it. And we are not making Felix Zweier or turning him into a social pariah. 
we just don't want him to referee Bundesliga games or even second division, third division games. In my opinion, as I said, he doesn't deserve it. And clearly, I mean, when an 18-year-old Englishman uh, who's been in the country for one and a half years knows about something that happened when he was one year old or not even a one year old um, in a, a third division at the time game, I mean, that shows that it's, you know, behind closed doors, something people talk about in the league, or maybe he read up on it, but I don't know how many players do studies on, you know, the referees for the next few games. So I'm assuming that it was talked about in some capacity. I don't know. Maybe he and just read it on Twitter because people have been talking about this too. Or he, he, he listened to us at the Yellow Wall pod. If so, hey, Jude, <laughs> and heard you or me say it. Yeah, still, I mean, what it shows you is that at least this one player, and I think it's fairly likely to assume that he's not the unicorn, but, you know, and no exception to a rule or whatever, uh, that the players are talking about it or thinking about it. And when when such a thing happens, I think you have to ask yourself, where how, how could they possibly respect a referee like that? And as such, I think this should be in in any other FA or in any other sport, perhaps even, uh, should be, you know, something like a nail in the coffin for Zweier's refereeing career. But, I mean, given the reaction of all the top hats, uh, <laughs> you know, the the Dreses and the Frölichs and, and other other referees, I think it's fair to say that Zweier is still going to be protected by the higher-ups in, in the German <laughs> FA. So... As I said earlier, uh, the the best thing for Dortmund to come out of the entirety of this thing, I mean, I would even argue that he didn't even cost them the game because, quite frankly, you can give the penalty for Bayern and Dortmund's penalty wouldn't have counted. So, ultimately, we are talking about, you know, something that uh, felt bad at the time, but the decisions weren't, you know, absolutely egregiously against Dortmund when all is said and done. Yeah, I So, the best thing to come out of it the, the the best thing to come out of it is that there's no way they are going to appoint Zweier to a Dortmund game anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's just a very weird situation and uh, I 100% agree with uh, what you just said that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Zweier is maybe not the one to ultimately blame for um, Dortmund's loss. Obviously, I would have preferred it had he, you know, kept his standard and not given the penalty. But uh, you, you can give this penalty. You know, you can obviously also say well, Hummels was shoved by Müller and between Bellingham, as he said, there's a lot of gray there. But uh, yeah, um, you know, Dortmund also just made a lot of mistakes, and uh, it's it's in so many aspects just a very frustrating result. Because I feel like Bayern were there for the taking and, uh, you know, had Dortmund, you know, just one normal game as you requested. Um, this this might have been three points and Dortmund would be uh, on top of the Bundesliga table now. Instead, it's uh, a four points deficit. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the uh, 2.8 million euros apparently Dortmund earned themselves with a 5-0 win over Besiktas. Um, and I just opened FB Ref and saw that uh, Besiktas expected goals was uh, 0.0 <laughs> and last uh, if we talk about match fixing already um, do, do you think uh, <laughs> everything was uh, on the up and up with uh, how Besiktas played here <laughs> because that, that was that was really bad I mean I, I think uh, 
obviously you always have to tread a bit lightly even though you are you know speaking tongue-in-cheek just um, say allegedly it's fine yeah i mean if besiktas came out of you know a good run of form in turkey maybe there was something smelling off here but i mean they've been terrible or not necessarily terrible but from what i gather because obviously i don't watch the super league um they haven't necessarily had the greatest runs of form uh at in at home and you know the champions league game for them was completely pointless outside of you know gaining a bit of money um which i guess would have been hard to do at dortmund because dortmund are clearly a better team uh and today the their head coach resigned um they are actually going to appoint daniel farke uh really which you know yeah it's uh quite interesting uh in terms of a fit for him so, I mean, given that circumstantial evidence, I would probably assume that Besiktas are just kind of shit at, the, at this point. And, I mean, I, given how the game turned out, uh, especially with uh, the sending off, which I actually think didn't uh, wasn't you know completely wrong because the player didn't have a chance at the ball and uh, kind of hacked away at the hood, even though it wasn't too harsh I mean it's still he didn't have a chance at the ball so that's one of the things referees look at so uh, especially at that point I think it was pretty obvious that it was going to be a bit of a drubbing and then when Dortmund can bring on Erling Haaland who's hungry for goals because he has to wait at least uh, you know half a year before he returns to the Champions League which is more like nine months actually uh, then some a scoreline like this can happen but obviously especially talking about Royce's second goal when he uh, walked through the entirety of Besiktas's non-existent defense <laughs> uh, that that was certainly I mean a low point for Besiktas I'm sure but I mean it was also a nice goal I kind, yeah I, every year I think Dortmund cannot possibly face worse opponents in Champions League you know starting with Legia Warsaw back in the day <laughs> Uh, Brugge last year were absolute shite but Besiktas definitely take the cake and I actually also looked at every ref today and they had a cumulative expected goal difference of minus 12 for these six games uh, the best uh, in positive terms is Bayern with plus 10.6 I think so that shows you that for as great as Bayern were winning all six games Besiktas losing all six were even worse than Bayern were great so I mean that kind of says it all and especially if we want to look at it from a Dortmund perspective I think we learned absolutely nothing uh, I mean Nico Schulz had probably his best day in a Dortmund shirt but it was against like uh, a cardboard opponent so <laughs> who, who cares yeah no I mean it's nice for Marlin to score again obviously but uh, you know it wasn't can... even a good goal I mean no yeah, the, the, the goalkeeper... goalkeeper keeps it out yeah exactly so yeah, ha- Haaland had a had a couple of headers where uh, his opponents just didn't mark him, didn't go up for it. I don't know what was going on there, but um, yeah, it's it's not really a, a game worth to talk about much, to be honest. Um, I don't know when the Europa League draw is. I think it's also on Monday, so we'll then find out who Dortmund play next in that competition. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's at least nice that Dortmund didn't concede and you know didn't make this uh, game a two-way meme street. So at least we've got that going for us, which is very nice. So Lars, with that being said, um, we can move on to the next match against VfL Bochum, and uh, 
you know, obviously, I personally wish I were there to enjoy some delicious Bratwurst and just the entire atmosphere of, uh, you know, the, the Stadion an der Kassauer Straße. It's, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's Ruhrpott romantic, if you will. Um, I absolutely love going to Bochum games. I, I did so very often when I was uh, in my teenager years. Uh, you know, I, I made the trip over because it just takes half an hour or so from, from door to door, if you will, uh, at least for, for me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like it there. It's uh, obviously it's a Revier Derby. Um, but uh, as as much as I hate Schalke, I really uh, have a lot of sympathy for, for Bochum and I'm just very glad they're featuring in the Bundesliga. So um, yeah, now that I, I said all this uh, last, this is obviously a, a must-win for Dortmund. Uh, Bochum have five, have you know a, a really good record uh, so far. I mean, they've gotten uh, six wins already this season. Uh, that's not bad at all. You know, they just beaten Freiburg, Augsburg, uh, win against Hoffenheim, against uh, Frankfurt, and uh, yeah, this one against Kräuterfurt also very important for them, I guess and uh, a win against Mainz. But obviously, um, you know, they've also been absolutely shellacked by Bayern. I think there was a 7 nothing loss or so. Um, so what do Dortmund have to do to, uh, you know, come away with all three points in, uh, you know, what will probably feel more like a second or third round in the German Cup? I wholeheartedly disagree with that last sentence. <laughs> um, Bochum are very fundamentally sound to borrow a term from the NFL uh, they don't beat themselves uh, obviously they don't have you know the greatest individual talents and a few important players also missing through injury quarantine uh, long-term injury but you know fundamentally sound they don't beat themselves they uh, are truly well coached by Thomas Reis and at home, they have a record of four wins, one draw, one defeat in six games, which uh, is Correct. like the fourth or so best in the league after uh, Dortmund, Bayern and uh, Hoffenheim or something. So, I mean, uh, you you look at Bochum as a promoted side, as, you know, uh, very much the younger brother in this sort of rivalry. Um, you look at them getting pummeled by Bayern, but that was in Munich, uh, so it doesn't really apply. So I think this is a much harder game than people, you know, who don't really look at Bochum much. Why should they? But um, it definitely, to me, know, is the, the hardest game left in the calendar. I think this is harder uh, I, than I, I, I think or uh, away, away to Hertha on Saturday evening in cold, windy Olympiastadion, that sounds harder to me. And especially since even though they've won a few of the last few trips, uh, it always feels like Dortmund shoot themselves in the foot in Berlin. So <laughs> I think both of them have the potential to be, uh, you know, a bit more difficult than looking at the table and looking at the disparity in terms of individual quality. One might think, but I would still agree that, you know, obviously it is kind of a must win. I mean, against the promoted side, uh, if you have the highest of ambitions and especially after coming away from... Bayern with zero points, uh, losing a bit of ground to Leverkusen in third. Uh, you want to return to winning ways in the league. And as I said, a, a promoted side, even away from home, uh, there's not not really much uh, else but a win you can expect. But I just want to point out that it's presumably going to be more difficult than people kind of expect going into the game. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree with this assessment. Uh, Bochum have not really made it easy for anyone, uh, especially in Bochum. And uh, I think the stadium will be half full at least. So um, that's not nothing, you know. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the Zweite Bundesliga games have uh, had less of a crowd in non-COVID times, to be honest. And uh, the atmosphere was still pretty good. So, um, yeah, it's it's a game I'm looking really forward to, obviously. Um I'm not entirely sure if uh, Riemann will be fit or not. Manuel Riemann, I think, has been uh, an absolutely fantastic goalkeeper for them. And, uh, you know, bit, bits. Uh, I, I think you can say he he is a bit of the heart and soul of that team. Uh, not, not just him, but uh, I, I think he's a very vocal uh, goalkeeper and uh, also very ambitious uh, for the player that he is. So, um, yeah. Kudos to Bochum for having a really good goalkeeper um, because I... Great penalty taker too. Is that so? <laughs> Don't tell me you forgot that he absolutely skied it uh, <laughs> against Hoffenheim. I didn't see it. I'm sorry. That was basically a goal kick. You have to look it up. It's one of the most ridiculous penalties in, in recent Bundesliga memory. Absolutely. I mean, it, it would have been a, a field goal from like 45 yards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen that one, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, at least he's taking responsibility, so there's that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, obviously, um, a tough blow was that Simon Sola, I think, uh, picked up an injury relatively early in the season. Uh, I think he's back on a training ground, but uh, obviously uh, not going to return anytime soon, if uh, I'm informed correctly. But uh, they did have uh, the prolific services of Sebastian Polter, um, who obviously... Uh, you know, is a is a very cheeky striker, if you will. Um, how would you describe his qualities? Uh, Körperklaus, <laughs> which is a German term for this type of striker, typically typically uh, German or you know Swedish or Nordic, uh, blonde, tall, big. Uh, you know, likes to leave the elbow in there a little bit, as you said, kind of cheeky. Uh, used to play for Union Berlin, which was a perfect fit. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the kind of guy that, uh, you know, doesn't strike you as the most prolific goal scorer or whatever, will probably end the season, you know, with a high single digits or digit goal tallies, but, you know, is a pain in the uh, ass to play against, especially as a defender. So, you know, Mats Hummels and presumably Dan Axel do have, uh, you know, uh, an interesting 90 minutes ahead of them, I think, because this is the kind of guy that absolutely gets under a centre-back's skin, uh, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, actually going to be uh, the next topic of conversation, because uh, when you, uh, you know, laid eyes on Twitter as uh, Dortmund published the lineup for the Besiktas game, you will uh, have seen... And maybe uh, the bagel in your hand fell down or whatever and landed on the cream cheese side. Uh, that Manuel Akanji had speaking from experience, or <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that Manuel Akanji, Manuel Akanji had minor knee surgery and will be out for the rest of the year. Uh, obviously, he is expected to be back, according to kicker at least. Um, for the Bundesliga match, the first one of 2022 against uh, Frankfurt, but nevertheless, uh, nothing you like to read uh, just, you know, casually dropped on Twitter. Uh, but uh, yeah, Dortmund have to accommodate for that. Obviously, they have big Zach back who uh, played okay against Besiktas, but as you said, that's not really 
much of a litmus test at all. And uh, of course, you have Pongracic as well. Um, do you do you think that uh, Hummels and Zagadou are an okay partnership right now, or do you think that uh, it's it's time to worry? I mean, given that Akanji has clearly been uh, Dortmund's best center half for months now, uh, certainly uh, weakens them. But I think it's kind of safe to assume that they looked at the schedule of, you know, the late stages of 2021 and identified these three games as a spell of games that which, you know, in which if uh, you lose because you don't have Manuel Akanji, I think you lose because you do a lot of mistakes. So, I mean, if I, I can't really see a scenario in either of these three games where you say, well, they would have won that with Akanji. So uh, it makes sense to get the surgical whatever the fact it was out of the way yeah not um, that we will know be, because why be transparent about anything yeah i mean it's not about hipaa uh i can't <laughs> say that much but uh i mean going back to your initial question i think uh kind of feels like rose and and his coaching staff obviously rose is suspended i guess we should mention that at some yeah. point <laughs> yeah um, my initial question was are we fucked <laughs> yeah no i don't think so um i think rose and and uh, and his uh, coaching staff have kind of been more open to the idea of playing Hummels on the right uh which you know he never used to do basically so him and Zagadou definitely my preferred option. I think uh, Pongracic came on pretty strong early in his loan deal to Dortmund, but has made a lot of mistakes recently, and clearly seems now like the stopgap that he was signed to be. Uh, you know, other other if, if otherwise they wouldn't have uh, almost rushed Zagadou back uh, into the starting lineup against Besiktas. I don't believe he exerted himself so much that he can't play against Bochum uh, just because, as you alluded to earlier, Besiktas didn't do anything going forward, so Zagadou only had to, uh, you know, cover like 20 yards off the pitch where usually it would be 40 or 50. So he should be fine. And it's definitely the uh, pairing with the most upside that is going to be available to them. Um... So yeah, I, I think it should be fine. Uh, Zagadou doesn't quite have the speed of Akanji to help out when uh, Hummels steps up a bit too far, which he tends to do from time to time. But he should definitely be able to uh, handle Polter in aerial duels and, you know, doesn't take shit from strikers usually. So that's actually a kind of a, a decent match for, for Bochum, uh, for, you know, Polter, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Obviously, um, Bochum will, you know, throw everything they have with uh, Asano, Holtmann, and uh, I guess if you want to count him, Rex Bejai, who... Uh, okay, uh, Holtmann is actually out. He's he's out? Ah, well. No, no, Bloom is out. Sorry, Bloom is out. Okay, well... Um, yeah, you, yeah. And Asano is also out, so uh, three attacking players, oh, he's out uh, too. counting also Zoller. Uh, yeah, I mean, Asano... I think it's not quite clear at this point, at the, at the point of recording, but they have a COVID case uh, in Bochum and two individuals who haven't been identified have to go into quarantine. And ah, okay. then when, when Thomas Reis said that Asano and Bloom, I think it was those two, uh, aren't available, but didn't really give a reason, uh, 
people assumed that at least one of them was uh, ordered into quarantine. So whatever the case may be, Bochum with Zoller, Asano and Bloom are without three of their uh, more prolific attacking players. So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, what's the most important tactical, uh, you know, thing that, that uh, Dortmund need to do in order to contain Bochum, I think, is to make sure that Lugia, I think you pronounce him, cannot uh, unfurl himself, does not enjoy any freedoms. You know, I don't even care if you man-mark him. <laughs> because I think uh, if, if you cut him off and cut him out, then uh, Bochum are struggling to counterattack, uh, to have switches of play and all these kinds of things. And especially if they play with a back five, um, I, I assume that they will obviously try to attack a lot through the wings, but uh, you know, if you cut off the the guy in in their center, um, that's going to hamper their build up a lot. So um, that's that's probably the number one thing I would say. Um, that being that all being said, I haven't watched too many Bo Bochum games actually, even though I was so happy that they're back that I can't really talk in detail about their playing style, other than that they are well organized and that they know how to carry the ball forward. Um, I, I thought that they have a really relatively decent ball progression, whether be it uh, with uh, you know a sort of a kick and rush uh, approach, but also you know ball on the ground approach. So um, you know it's it's not the Darmstadt's of the world coming up. Uh, let's put it this way: I think they play a really good uh, ball, considering the amount of talent they have. So um, yeah, I think a lot of credit really goes to. Uh, Rice for the, uh, uh, you know, for, for the coaching of, of this team because the, the positional play, I think, is always really good. And uh, the avoidance of mistakes, as far as I've seen, and uh, especially also highlights, uh, is something we need to talk about as well in highlighting Bochum because uh, it really matters if you can uh, cut out individual mistakes or not. <clears throat> so <laughs> let's put the focus a little bit on the Dortmund part of things. Uh, Torgen Hazard is uh, at least back in the squad, from what I hear. Uh, Julian Brandt has passed some sort of concussion test or whatever it was. And uh, maybe he'll be included in the squad as well. Um, obviously, Daniel Marlen uh, might be out with some sort of flu. Um, last, if Hazard and Brandt can both play, I think that's still going to be a big boost for Dortmund. And uh, you know, to just add to the uh, you know players available right now. I don't know if Rose said anything about Meunier because I think he had to be subbed off from the Besiktas game because he felt something in his legs. Um, but if we assume that uh, Dortmund play a similar lineup uh, to the one that uh, they used for the Bayern game, um, I think this is a very strong lineup and uh, I'm very optimistic about three points if they play like that, especially if they manage to find Haaland because uh, he, he looks like he is uh, already in great form uh, since returning from his injury. Yeah, but I would be surprised if they went with the Bayern approach because obviously uh, Rose uh, added a third central midfielder. They played with Jan Bellingham and Dahoud. Feels kind of unnecessary uh, against Bochum. Uh, so, so you I mean, take out Jan? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> why not? 
<laughs> I, obviously, Dawood played quite a bit, uh, only returning from injury. Uh, Bellingham was out before the Bayern game, so uh, assuming everything is fine and all things being equal, then obviously Dawood Bellingham would be your usually preferred choice for a game at Bochum. So I don't know why that wouldn't be the case, but obviously <clears throat> if uh, Brandt and Azar aren't fit to play from the start or in terms of Brandt, I'm sure they're not going to take any risks from you know a neurological perspective or whatever, uh, then maybe because of the lack of options for uh, the natural wingers I wouldn't be shocked if they once again win, went with three central midfielders and I should even point out that Bellingham didn't necessarily play as a as his usual number eight or whatever against Bayern he was uh, roaming quite a bit to the left um, which was kind of a stroke of genius uh, from from Rosa and his staff because uh, Bellingham had such a strong performance especially going forward two assists against Bayern if I'm not mistaken two assists again in the Champions League so, I mean, Bellingham can basically do it all, so uh, I'm not really worried about personnel. Um, uh, do you know about Gio Reyna's availability rest of the year, uh, by chance? Uh, no, I don't think there's going to be much of an availability at all, to be honest. I think he's still... Because it, it, it felt like, to me, uh, this coaching staff is kind of happy to get players back into gro the groove of things a bit quicker than perhaps uh, I mean he past. might be included I mean, in the match day squad maybe he's there going making a trip to Berlin or so but uh, I don't know if, if that means he'll get serious playing time but obviously uh, I'm not there and I don't know <laughs> <laughs> so there's that but uh, yeah uh, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because obviously when you have Brandon Hazard in there um, there's uh, a much higher chance to win this game then let's say you play with uh you know wolf and chan <laughs> so yeah i i don't know what the other options would be um maybe and that's something to think about with nico schulz uh, coming off of his best ever performance uh put him into the left back slot and then uh, play guerrero somewhere up front that's something i could think of of you know stuff Dortmund could do to alleviate if uh, more attacking midfielders are out. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, I, I wouldn't really know what uh, what else to do. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Lars, uh, should we then go over to scoreline predictions? or? Uh, oh, no, actually, there was one thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, there are two players that are on four yellow cards right now. One is Bellingham and one is Meunier. Do you think both should uh, try to get this booking so they don't have to play against Fürth? Because I would uh, hate it for Bellingham, for example, to miss against Hertha or Frankfurt or whatever. I mean, if the opportunity presented itself uh, without being too obvious, then sure. I mean, uh, I, I think if, especially Bellingham, uh, I think the German FA are going to have a pretty close look at, at whatever he does in the next few games. So if he goes for a blatant, blatant offense to miss the, the third game, then uh, I think there's an option to be punished further. So I think uh, I would usually just let these things play out the way they play out. I mean, you never know who's going to be available for for any given game. I mean, Bellingham <laughs> missed the game anyway. Uh 
so yeah i mean if 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 you can do it you know subtly and it makes sense also in terms of the game i mean you know we don't know the referee because apparently only felix Zweier gets appointed five days early in the bundesliga <laughs> um if 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 you know the referee is very lenient and you have to almost break someone's leg to get a yellow card, then I would advise against it. But I mean, if 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 you can do it ahead of the third game and nobody bets an eye, then certainly wouldn't be the worst idea. But I mean, you can also say that you know Hertha and uh, Frankfurt uh, and at the start of January, that doesn't necessarily all scream a murderous row of opponents. So it's not like. Uh, you know, third is infinitely easier than those games, even though it's obviously the easiest game at home against third, which is, I think, the worst team in, in all of Europe's big leagues. Uh, Maybe, yeah, but one point. I'll be honest, I always feel a bit uneasy when it comes to away trips to Berlin and especially also Frankfurt. And Frankfurt seem to have, you know, rebounded a little bit from their slump. So uh, I would hate it. Yeah, to but not I, I, I mean, game. Yeah, uh, Bellingham is obviously a great player. Very good shout to be Dortmund's best outfield player of the season, uh, especially with Haaland missing so much time. But I mean, I, I can't think of a scenario where Dortmund rock up to Berlin and, you know, after the game you say, but man, if only they had Jude Bellingham, they <laughs> would have won today. I mean, obviously that, that could be the case, but I mean, he's not, you know, the most prolific goal scorer. So, I mean, if, if they draw one all, do you say, well, Bellingham would have scored this or that chance? Yes. I wouldn't usually, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, I, I'd be honest, there's one thing I really worry about right now, and that is obviously um, COVID, because uh, I, I feel you, you can just anecdotally see that it's spreading, and when it's within teams, it also, you know, a, a lot of cases can can come out of one team i mean just look at what's going on at tottenham right now and um it's obviously a factor that uh, is lingering and you can count out and uh, yeah i i'm just worried about such a scenario uh then dortmund's uh i don't know one of the youth teams had to quarantine recently so um yeah, uh, it's it's still uh, a vicious virus going around. So I just hope in, in that regard, everyone's still safe and, and healthy and really uh, adheres to all the protocols. And uh, yeah, it's, especially in, in winter, you, you know, it's 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 tough uh, for a lot of football clubs. So, um, you know, we obviously have the restrictions with the fans right now. And uh, I really do hope that, uh, you know, everyone continues to take it seriously. And uh, yeah, I hope it doesn't have too much of of an effect, let's say, on uh, on on the sport and the uh, results and outcomes it itself, but it obviously has. Uh, so yeah, uh, which is just one thing I wanted to add in terms of you know you never know who's available the next game. It's a good point. You know, what if uh, half of Dortmund's midfield is out with COVID and then you don't have Bellingham either? Um, that that would obviously suck. So uh, yeah, from that perspective, maybe it's. Uh, uh, a good idea to just stay on four yellow cards for as long as possible. But uh, yeah, uh, if we have to go to scoreline predictions, uh, I think Dortmund are going to win this one 3 nothing. I'm going with the reverse jinx, leaning fully into my narrative of Bochum being very good at home and saying one all draw. All right. That's uh, <laughs> would deliver more uh, cloth for discussion, if you will. So, uh, yeah, uh, 
Um, I'm I'm intrigued about that uh, tip, and I'm really intrigued about uh, this matchup against Bochum because it it certainly isn't easy for Dortmund, and we have seen Dortmund to slip up in exactly these games. But um, I was going to make the point, uh, and I'm feeling a bit scared to make this point that I feel like Dortmund right now are in a state uh, where these sort of slip ups don't necessarily happen in the same fashion as they did in the past, but. Uh, Obviously, now that I've said it, Dortmund need to live up to uh, what I said or I'm wrong. So uh, with that in mind, uh, I'll just uh, say that it's time for us to get out of here. So uh, uh, thank you very much for coming on and uh, providing your expertise. And uh, please tell our listeners where to follow you on the internet. Do you know I much prefer it when you just did it for all the panel? Uh, yeah, but I prefer it actually when you say it. It's more fun for me when you are always uh, reluctantly saying it. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm pretty sure nobody has ever clicked on the follow button <laughs> at Lars Polman just because I said it here. So, <laughs> uh, if you want to prove me wrong, then you need to shoot me a line as well because I obviously wouldn't know because my account is always growing. <laughs> Yeah, I think I hit 18,000 followers uh, after uh, I, I called Felix via a joke. I think that thing alone had 2,000 likes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, big uh, Twitter cloud now, thanks to Felix Zweier. Uh, I should send him a couple of bucks over for this. Um, but no, in all honesty, yeah, you can follow me at Stefan Butzko. Uh, you can follow all of us at Yellow Warpod if you want to subscribe to this podcast with it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube. Spotify, etc. If you want to contribute financially, go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, yeah, we will be back with an episode, uh, I guess, between Bochum and Fürth. Uh, you know, it's one English Woche left in this calendar year. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm enjoying recording the yellow wall pod these days. So <laughs> I always do, obviously, but uh, I'm in a, in a very good mood. So I think we're going to have two episodes uh, again next week uh, somehow if I can schedule it. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye. And because it's my birthday, the soundboard has decided to work at the end of the podcast. Isn't that nice? nice. <laughs>